partnership between USAID, Chevron, and Clusa represents a new approach to development assistance on the part of the Obama administration. Welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Hannah Jaffe-Wald. Today is Monday, October 19th, and that was Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton speaking in Angola. You heard at the top of the podcast. She was there in August. And on the podcast today, we are going to meet two people who work down the block from one another, who have often wondered about the other one, but they have never spoken those two people, they're in Angola as well. And today on the podcast, we're going to bring them together. But first, the Planet Money Indicator. We've got a triple whammy for you. 83.95.83. Those are all numbers that basically tell us that oil matters a lot, a lot, a lot in the country of Angola. And those numbers come to us care of the State Department. They tell us that crude oil is 83% of Angola's GDP, 95% of its exports, and 83% of government revenues. That, Alex, is huge. Yes, it is. 83.95.83, oil, oil, oil. And this gets at a paradox um, of oil. It's a very valuable commodity. You get lots of money if you if you find it in your country. But when countries do discover oil, it doesn't always seem to help the people living in that country. Right. And like we said, we're going we're gonna to meet two people who kind of fit in this picture today. We're going to meet an American and an Angolan. Um, one has made a lot of money from oil. One has not. And the one making the money is the American guy. His name is Gregory Scheidler, and he lives and works in Angola's capital, Luanda. That's a place where average income last year was about $3,500. I live in quite privileged situation here. I live in a house that where the rent is uh, more than $20,000 a month. It's a gated and guarded community with a swimming pool, tennis courts. There's a new shopping mall, the first in the country that's been built. There's a foreign school that's been built to support the children of the primarily the oil and gas industry. And is it nice, like leafy streets, nice place to be? Yeah, it's a, it's a very nice place inside the gates of this place. And it's a completely different country when you walk out. So Alex Gregory does try to walk out into the country every day, just at least for a little bit. He leaves his big office building in the capital and he walks to lunch. One of the impressions I had walking to lunch was actually seeing people filling up a water bottle from a pipe that comes from the condensation of air conditioners. And water is actually a very scarce commodity and not everybody's got a faucet, so they've got to come up with water. So Gregory's in this kind of weird situation. Like He's used to living abroad. He's lived in dozens of different countries for his job. But he has never felt more isolated as an American than he does in Angola. I mean, he basically says, I live in this bubble. And he doesn't have personal relationships with any Angolans except for one. And he, he's not even sure that that counts. I, I leave the existence that I have and I walk down, you know, through these on the sidewalk, and in my daily routine, I do buy some chewing gum from a local boy. And so he's one of the Angolans outside of the corporate world that I have a daily interaction with, and usually it's not much more than a smile. I might have pulled out a little wad of money, and he took out what he needed because I couldn't even understand what what the prices were. Oh, really? So you just, like 
put out a handful of money? Well, small small bills or something. I think I, 50 Kwanzaas is about 60 cents. So it felt like a fair price, and I didn't you know, want to ha- haggle with him. And so I, I'm actually quite curious about his life, um, where he lives, um, whether he's gotten an education or not, um, whether he's even from Luanda because he might be a war refugee himself having come from a different part of the country. So there's a lot of things I don't know about him. So, Hannah, we thought Gregory has all these questions and all this interest in this kid and the life that this kid leads. And so we thought, well, let's get the two of them together. Right, which sounds very easy. <laughs> um, so it actually took us several weeks or like dozens of emails and calls. And Let's be honest, it took you it, several weeks. It's true. <laughs> and Caitlin Kinney spent a long time on it. We finally got Gregory into this room with this kid, Mingito. That's the boy that he buys gum from. And just keep in mind, Mingito, Gregory, and their translator, a woman named Isabel, they were in the basement of the restaurant Gregory goes to in Angola on cell phones. So sorry, the sound quality is not going to be great here. And Gregory sat down with Mingito and just started asking some questions. One of the things that I enjoy about living in Luanda is actually uh, seeing you every day and buying chewing gum from you. And so I was curious, what is your life like, and what is it like to be um, to be a chewing gum seller and shine in Luanda? And I wanted to ask you a few questions about what your life is like. So first of all, how old are you? Good plan. I'm 18 years old. You seem like a very good businessman for an 18-year-old. How, how long have you been uh, in business? So I started first as a shoe shine person. So I would shoe shine, but and then after a little while, I started to sell some cigarettes. But because we have the policemen always after us. So I had to go here and there to sell and to shine the shoes. And then I buy my stuff from this big market, Cox and Dairo, so that I can have a good price on things to be able to sell them. Mingito told Gregory that he'd been beaten by the police earlier that week for selling on the street, which is illegal. And, and he basically said he hates constantly having to run from the police, but he feels like he doesn't have many options. Do you like your job? No. No ghost. Not really. I don't like it. And if you could choose, what what kind of job would you like to have? I would do anything. If uh, some good job would come up from a company, I would do anything. And is it... It, what are what are other options for someone like you? What other kinds of jobs could you do? It's, uh, if I was working in another company, that would be okay, but I cannot get a job like that. And so this one is safer, whereas the other one, I don't have one, so it's not safe. What, what, um, why can't you get a different kind of job? There are other types of jobs, for instance, in construction work. It's really heavy and I cannot do it, so that's why I don't work on construction and I sell on the street. But that's the only thing. 
So, Kana, the, the thing that really strikes me here is that you have this guy, Gregory, the American. He has a budget, he told you, of a billion dollars a year. Right. And he's not even, that's just like one small department in this company that he's in, this multinational oil company that he's working for. So, and here he is, he's working in Mingito's country in an enormous industry, which should theoretically benefit a kid like Mingito, right? He should, he's spending billions of dollars that's got to be, they've got to need labor, they've got to, that's got to provide jobs somehow. He's bringing all this wealth into the country and the town where Mingito lives, but Mingito still can't get a job. Right. And the job that he does do puts him at risk of getting beaten up, basically. And the thing is that when oil companies set up in Angola, there are explicit agreements that say that this is supposed to benefit people who live in Angola. Like, they, the oil companies, they've enter into these production sharing agreements where Angola will get a percentage of the oil that a company like Gregory's company produces. So so basically, Angola sets up this state-owned oil company. It's called Sonengol. And Sonengol takes their portion of the oil, and then they sell it abroad. And that revenue is supposed to go to the Angolan government and theoretically to Angolan people. Theoretically being the operative word here. Right, exactly. So I asked this guy, Herman Cohen, about that. He's a retired U.S. diplomat. He was the assistant secretary of state for Africa under the first President Bush. And I just asked him, like, what is the relationship between someone like Gregory and someone like Mengito supposed to look like? Gregory being there will generate wealth uh, for the government, and the government uh, theoretically could use that wealth for the benefit of the people just like, you know, any government is supposed to do. Is that happening? Not as of now. It, is, it does not seem to be happening uh, in, in great abundance. The, comp- the state-owned oil company gets the percentage of, uh, of oil to sell, and the state-owned oil company gets that revenue from those sales. Some of that revenue goes into the government budget, for spending on what governments are supposed to do. But a lot of that revenue doesn't go there. It just stays in the company, and the company reinvests it in various activities. For example, the state-owned oil company has a private airline, a charter airline. And I read the other day that they were investing in enterprises in Brazil. Well, you know, if you're a private company and you have a lot of money, you're looking to expand your wealth by investing, right? Well, Senegal is doing that, but... The needs of Angola are much too great. They shouldn't be doing that. Uh, what they should be doing is spending money that will attract investors. For example, an investor won't invest unless he has reliable electricity, unless he has reliable water, unless he has reliable port operations, telephone. So if the government invested in those things, they would be able to attract investors who would then employ people. So basically, this government-run company, Sonangol, is behaving like a private company, and it, it's behaving as if it has no obligation to the Angolan people or that it's, a, that it's operating on behalf of the Angolan government at all. It, in other words, what's standing between Gregory and Mingito is the negligence of the Angolan government, basically. And the thing that's interesting is that there is actually building and development going on in Luanda. Gregory says you can see from his office building all these new, you know, structures going up around him. So I asked Herman Cohen about that, you know, like, shouldn't that be jobs for Angolan people? And he said, oh, yeah, that that is happening. But no, 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 that's the Chinese doing it. So what the Chinese will do is say, well, we will do infrastructure work. In return, we want to have guaranteed supply of oil which is a type of uh, arrangement they make in a lot of countries. 
they don't get the oil for free. They get the they have to pay for the oil, but they say, well, we'll we'll build a road from point A to point B and uh, on a loan basis, and you reimburse us. So, but they bring labor. They bring labor, which a lot of Africans resent because they don't hire Africans. Right, and uh, one thing I always say to Africans: Why do you allow this? You know, you have to give visas to people. So, so the Chinese will say, okay, in exchange for for this guarantee on that oil and the and the prices on the oil, we'll build a couple bridges, we'll build you this highway, and over time, you can pay us back for it. Right, right. But they're not hiring people like Mingito to build those highways. Not enough people. There, there are many, many Chinese in this country, and they. You, you can see trucks and trucks of, of people, um, Chinese people, um, building roads, building, um, building buildings. Do you have any interaction with the Chinese contractors? I have none. I, I go to a Chinese restaurant for dinner every once in a while, but basically I, I don't. So here we've got the situation where we've got American oil company employees in their $20,000 a month rental homes. We've got Angolan kids putting themselves in danger to make 60 cents selling gum on the street. And then we have Chinese workers imported to build things in Angola for <laughs> Angolans without training or hiring any Angolans to do it. Right. And none of them talk to each other, which makes for a very strange world. Yes, it is a very strange world. And that is the paradox of oil. Um, we are going to be talking a lot about that, actually, in the upcoming uh, weeks and months, Hannah. We, we, we want to do a lot of reporting about Africa and the paradox of oil and poverty and, and how to alleviate it. Yeah, and we'd love to hear any thoughts that you have about that. Gregory wrote us at our email address, planetmoney at npr.org. You are welcome to send us any notes there. And you can also find us online at npr.org slash money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. <laughs>